Welcome to DealCast, the M&A podcast brought to you by the Merger Market and Deal Reporter editorial teams. I'm Dean McCroby, journalist at Deal Reporter and Merger Market, and welcome to today's episode. Today, we will be discussing AbbVie's proposed acquisition of Allergan. Please welcome today's guests, Mintoy Kessa-Florea of Merger Market and Pablo Mayo Cercaro of Deal Reporter. Let's start with you, Pablo. How does the EC typically look at pharma mergers? Uh, well, Dean, thank you so much for, for having us. Um, so the EC will look at commercial product overlaps and also pipeline overlaps. And markets tend to be defined differently. For example, for uh, commercial products, the EC typically defines national markets as opposed to pipeline products, which tend to be a bit more global. So, for example, I've got an example here uh, in Takeda. Uh, Shire, the EC said that the market for pipeline products is uh, at least EEA wide. Um, So that indicates the international dimension of the market scope. And then the EC can also take a look at potential threats to innovation, but uh, we can maybe talk about that later. Now, Mintoy, what are the overlaps between the merging parties in this case? Yes, so we had a look at this. Of course, AbbVie's chief legal officer, uh, Lara Schumacher, told investors on that day that there would be a few small product overlaps that would be uh, divested promptly. Uh, This would be from Allegan's pipeline. Um, Also, some analyst reports pointed to the IL-23 compound, Brazicomab, and Zenpep compound in Allegan's pipeline that were each presenting a potential overlap with AbbVie's pipeline. Sorry, just to interrupt you here for a second, what do those two drugs do? So the IL-23 is actually for, uh, it's in gastric indications, it's IBS, um, and the Zempep compound is a pancrelipase uh, compound, which is the same as AbbVie's Creon. Creon and Zempep are actually indicated for uh, pancreatic insufficiencies, so those are quite clear overlaps. So in the women's health portfolio, uh, Esmia, which is Allegan's compound, has actually not received approval in the US due to safety warnings for serious liver injury. Orelissa instead, in AbbVie's portfolio, has been approved and is also undergoing long-term safety studies. When we've had a look at closer the two compounds, they actually have different indications. So whether the regulator um, will actually assess that this is a clear overlap, as Esmia is in one particular indication, in moderate to severe symptoms of uterine fibroids, whilst instead Orelissa is FDA-approved for the management of moderate to severe pain in endometriosis, whether these two constitute an overlap for the competition regulator will have to be assessed. Now, Pablo, looking at innovation, how does the European Commission typically look at this area of a merger and how is it likely to approach innovation in this case? So innovation is actually pretty interesting. So the EC elaborated a theory of innovation in a landmark case called Dow DuPont in 2017. It's actually a very long case. It's loads and loads of pages. And basically what the commission assessed is uh, whether the the combination of the two parties would effectively undermine innovation. So basically they concluded that uh, the transaction was likely to significantly reduce innovation competition in a number of innovation spaces, but also at the industry level. So according to to a lawyer, uh, the EC looks at innovation more holistically. There is a bit of uh, skepticism about whether the EC will 
utilize Dow DuPont style theory of innovation for pharma deals. Um, so, for example, one of the legal experts that we spoke to said that the EC would only go to research and development capacity analysis if the parties are active in areas where the where there's a limited number of innovators. So, long story short, the EC may look at innovation, but uh, lawyers are also cautious not to overstate any innovation concerns that the EC might have with this particular deal. And Mintoy, aside from the small product overlaps that the company has flagged and uh, besides the innovation concerns that the EC could have that Pablo has mentioned, are there any other aspects of this deal to look out for that the EC could be concerned about? Whether it's uh, the EC that's concerned about, I think perhaps investors should be wary of um, the medical aesthetics franchise, which is probably the main reason that AbbVie is buying Allegan for. Uh, they're probably betting quite a lot on that. Now, Sorry, what do you mean by medical aesthetics? So the medical aesthetics is the Botox franchise, which the compound is the botulinum toxin type A. Now, this is a compound that out of Asia is also being very much pushed in the sense that a lot of companies in Asia developing using it, uh, companies that are not obviously uh, licensing this from uh, Allegan. So there's very similar compounds out there. There's also hyaluronic acid, which is another kind of dermafiller that is very much filling the market. So, so are these infringements or are these generic versions or are these... These are just other, other yeah. compounds in the medical aesthetics market that could eat up on uh, Allegan's market share. So AbbVie is clearly betting a lot on this medical aesthetics market, uh, probably thinking that obviously Allegan is a... Uh, has a very strong position in the market. But I think it's not to be underestimated any other companies that are coming out with similar compounds or that can also eat into the medical aesthetic market share that can also cater for similar conditions. Uh, so whether it's frown lines, whether it's uh, other types of medical aesthetic procedures, I think it's not to be underestimated that uh, for investors that there are such players coming to market. And then, of course, you know, um, AbbVie's drug Humira, which is coming uh, off patent in 2023 in the US, that's possibly what really pushed AbbVie to do a deal. Now, Humira is also um, administered in ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, which are the conditions for which the overlaps present. So there's quite a lot for investors to, to be wary of. Uh, the regulator will take a very clean look at the overlaps, but I think the investors should be wary of the wider picture of really what's happening in the market and the competitive behaviours, from, especially from Asian players, where the medical aesthetics market is really growing, fast-growing, and Really, they're looking to also come to Europe. Um, we have also looked at this emerging market as Asian players looking for inbound M&A into European assets. As Humira loses exclusivity rights, this obviously hurts the case for investors. But could this conversely help the case with the European Commission? What we have to consider is that uh, AbbVie also has another compound, Upadatisinib, in phase three development, which uh, targets similar therapeutic areas to Humira and the IL-23 drugs. So there is some hope there for AbbVie to be still gaining market share and to be keeping market share in those uh, therapeutic categories. Now, Pablo, just looking at the basics of the European Commission's approach to innovation, how does it distinguish between innovation and the pipelines of the merging parties? And what is the difference between the two? 
Okay, I think you need to take my answer with a pinch of salt because I'm not a legal expert and I could potentially be getting this wrong. But my understanding of this is that uh, the EC will look at pipeline products in a similar way to uh, commercial product overlaps. So the EC defines uh, pipeline products as a more global market as opposed to a national market for uh, commercialized products, but still it's product overlaps. Now, innovation, my understanding is is that the EC looks at it from a more um, holistic perspective. And just to give you an example, in Dow DuPont, the EC concluded that the combination would likely hinder innovation at an industry level. So it it looks at it more um, holistically, so to speak. And why why are pipeline drugs treated globally, whereas drugs that are already on the market are typically treated on a national basis by the EC? That's a good question. I guess it's because for the commercial products, uh, you have like you know registration and uh, and whatnot, as opposed to pipeline, uh, where the drugs have not been deployed. But again, it's better to consult a legal expert on this. And I would add to that, saying that uh, pipeline drugs have the possibility to be approved in the EMA. In the US, by the US FDA, and also, of course, in Asia. So every, uh, every pipeline product is approved according to the region. The US FDA can have different requirements to the European regulator. So a company has to be very wary that approval in Europe does not necessarily mean an approval in the US, as we've seen with Esmia's product, because of its liver toxicity uh, safety profile that it that uh, concerns that it created, the US FDA decided not to approve it, whilst in the Europe it was approved. So I think when it was looking at pipeline products, we really need to be wary of the market in which they're going into, because regulators in every market have slightly different requirements. Right, and they're treated globally because they can go into any market. Yes, they can go into any market, provided that they satisfy the regulator condition. Now, we've spoken about the EC, but there's also a possibility that the CMA could get involved. Why is this and how could the CMA step in on this merger? Uh, It's just a matter of uh, whether the CMA will gain jurisdiction over the deal uh, with Brexit. I mean, the deal is expected to close in uh, early 2020. And the merging parties, the merging parties already stated that uh, they contemplate the possibility of uh, CMA filing. in their definition of the of the relevant jurisdictions for competition purposes in the deal announcement, uh, but yes, I mean, I guess that uh, I, I cannot I cannot see an exact reason right now, but it, essentially, uh, Brexit could lead to a situation where the CMA uh, gains jurisdiction over the deal as well, as the UK would not be part of the EU anymore, and therefore you wouldn't have a one stop shop uh, for the EU uh, twenty eight. And to that, I will be bold and add something else and question, did Abvi acquire Allegan completely for its pipeline? If we look at Allegan's pipeline, it's got central nervous system, eye disorders, GI and medical aesthetics. A lot of the pipeline drugs have been questions or there's some uncertainty surrounding the the ability for these drugs to get through phase three, uh, as all pipeline drugs, of course. But one would perhaps uh, see that the Abvi uh, rationale is very much geared to the medical aesthetics, the Botox, uh, they've got cool sculpting, they've got fillers. Allegan has other pipeline products which are clearly a more stable revenue generation than uh, the risky assets that still need to be approved. As a matter of fact, Avi Management said during the, the, the deal conference call that um, they were not betting on pipeline. This is not a pipeline deal. It's more about having a profitable platform that can serve as an alternative 
to Humira because uh, as we discussed earlier, Avi is going to lose exclusivity on uh, Humira in the U.S. in 2023. So the company wants to be ready for that uh, cleavage uh, scenario, so to speak. They want to have a platform, an alternative that can uh, complement the, the top line. Right. Well, uh, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe to us. Dealcast is available on Apple Podcasts. Just search Dealcast. You can also find us on Audioboom. Information on the deals discussed today will be listed in the show notes. See you next time.